In Christ alone. In Christ alone we stand. Your righteousness, not in your church attendance, not in your offering, not in your how you live your life. It's in Jesus Christ alone. Praise the Lord. Amen? You know, that's what we're building here. Followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not Calvary Chapelites, not religious people, but Christians. They identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, that guy that lived 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth, that was born of a virgin, lived a sinless, perfect life, suffered and died on the cross of Calvary in the scums of Jerusalem. There on the Mount of Calvary, he gave his life for our sin. And he rose from the grave as the victorious king. And he reigns throughout all eternity. And if you get anything from Calvary Chapel, it's in Christ alone. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this day. And Father, it's truly in Christ alone. So Father, now as we continue to worship and we get into the second half of James chapter 1, Lord, speak. Your servants are listening as we study your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. How's everybody doing this morning? Rainy, wet, cold outside. That's right, that's right, that's right. It doesn't matter. You've come to church to worship Jesus. You've come to church to get into the word. And this morning, we are looking at Guess what? One of our arch enemies, temptation. Temptation. Come here, Randall. Randall, come here for a second. Come here, come here, come here, Randall. Come here for a second, just brother. All right. This is my friend, Randall. All right, Randall, go have a seat. No, come here. This is what temptation does to us. We're trying to live our life, and there's two things you're going to face in life as a Christian. And then we looked at him in James chapter one. One is trials and the other is temptation. And what temptation does is it grabs hold of us and it constantly tugs on us and it pulls on us. So we are going to look at this morning what the Bible says about temptation. Now go and sin no more, brother. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but that's what temptation does. What did you say, Randall? I said eat the apple. Yeah, <laughs> he ate the apple. That's what temptation does. Temptation pulls at our heartstrings. It pulls at our life. It pulls at our dedication and our commitment to Jesus Christ, okay? And I'm, I'm sorry to break the news to you this morning, but temptation is not going away. Temptation is not going away. It's part of the Christian life. We face temptation. We face trials as James, the brother of Jesus, establishes here in James chapter 1. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 12, which was on what? Trials. This week, today, we are looking at temptation. So let's read, let's read a couple of verses, and then we'll get into our verse-by-verse study. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be up on the screen. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing, excuse me, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. Last week, the title of my message was Faith in the Face of Trials. Today, the title of my teaching is Faith in the Face of Temptation. And we're going to finish up James chapter 1 this morning. But if you're going to grow as a Christian, there's two things you need to understand. You're going to face trials, and you're going to face tribulation. You ask any seasoned Christian, and they will wholeheartedly agree that you will face these. Henry Ward Beecher said this, lived several hundred years ago. Uh, he says, all men are tempted. There is no man that lives that can't be broken down, provided it is the right temptation put in the right spot. So that leads me to my question, believers. Either you've gone through temptation, you're in temptation, or you, there's temptation ahead. How will you face your temptation? Brothers and sisters, family, it's coming. It's coming. Just, just mark it on the calendar. It's coming. Will you give in to your temptation, or will you fight? You know, I look back at my Christian life, and I've given in and sinned against God, and I've been able to fight. But how will you respond? So what I want to do this morning is I want us to understand what the Bible teaches concerning temptation. So I've broken this down into three parts. Three parts to understand what temptation is, all based on our passage. And we want to look at, the one, the source of temptation, the course of temptation, and how to conquer temptation. Now, keep in mind, it is not a sin to be tempted. It is not a sin to be tempted. We are all tempted in various ways, but it's a sin when we give in and we crash and we burn and we give in to our lustful deeds or our sinful actions. So let's look at it this morning. Y'all ready? Let's look at first the source of temptation. The source of temptation can be found in verses 13 and 14. Let's take a look at it. James chapter 1, verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. For each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Rule number one in your theology is this. God is not the source of temptation. That's what James has told us in verse 13. God is not the source of our temptation. God is perfect. God is holy. He is not the author of sin. Matter of fact, God hates sin. You don't know how much God hates sin? Look at what Jesus had to go through at the cross. He, 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 took, he took a shellacking for our sin. He took the punishment. He took the wrath of God for our sin. So God is not the source, and God does not tempt. And, and that's, what, that's what he's establishing there in verse 13. And then in verse 14, uh, he says, But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust." Now, looking at verse 14, it gives us a source of temptation. But you have to zoom back and look at all of the Bible to understand this, that there are two sources of temptation. 
And I want to talk about the other one first before we get into the one that's talked about in verse 14. And the other temptation, the other um, source of temptation, one is Satan himself. 1 Peter 5, 8 says that uh, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? 1 Thessalonians 3, 5. <clears throat> For this reason, when I can endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Satan is a source of temptation. And what Satan does is Satan and his minions, they try to sift us out. They, they try to sift us out. They try to deceive us. And they, they send arrows. They whisper thoughts to tempt us and draw us away. That is one source of temptation. But that's not what James is talking about here. But I wanted to make you aware of that. The source of temptation that James here is talking about in James chapter 1 is within every single one of us. And that is our sinful, rebellious heart. You know, that's the source of temptation that James is referring to here in James chapter 1. It's that thing on the inside, our heart that has fallen. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Some people would say, referring to their sinful life, Well, God made me this way. No, God did not make you that way. That is your sinful, falling nature coming out of you trying to uh, justify your sinful habits or your sinful way of life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, he said, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. Those defile the man. For out of the heart, straight from the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 15, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. Family, the problem is our heart. Our heart is deceitfully wicked. Our heart is fallen because of the fall, because sin has come into the world. You and I are broken on the inside. We have a, before we come to Christ, before a person comes to Christ, their heart is darkened. They're walking in darkness. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, you must be born again. There must be this new spiritual life that comes inside. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses. We were dead men walking, okay, because our hearts were deceitfully wicked and deceitfully dark. But when we became born again, he comes into our life. And, he, and, he, and he, he changes our heart. He transforms our heart. Christianity's always been about the heart. See, you can change all this stuff on the outside. And it may look good on the outside. But if you don't change the heart, it's all for nothing. It has to start on the inside. And that is where what the Bible addresses this is spiritual training. This is spiritual food. This is a spiritual word. And it's meant to deal with your heart. It's meant to deal with your heart. So 
the, the source of temptation, one is, I wanted to bring up Satan because the scripture says that in his minions, demons, they do tempt us. But the second thing is within us, our sinful fallen nature, our hearts within us. That's the corruption. That's where the problem is. So that's where the source of temptation is. The first question is, what's the source of temptation? Is, is the evil powers of Satan and demons and also our sinful fallen hearts. It just comes from within us. You know, we just, we, uh, apart from Christ, apart from the Lord in our life, we desire sin. We desire darkness. But when we become born again, he gives us a new heart and a new life. And the things that we once hated, we now love. And the things we once uh, love, we now hate. Talking about exchanging the life for a love for the Lord instead of a love for this world. Let's look at number two. I'm going to spend the majority of my time on how to conquer temptation, but I wanted to establish these. The next one is the course of temptation. The course of temptation is right there in verse 15. He lays it out. He lays it out before us. Look at verse 15. Then, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when his sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Temptation is like a conveyor belt, okay? Once you get on that conveyor belt, you're moving forward. You're, you're, you're moving forward, and, and as you slowly give in, as there's a slow fade, as you slowly stop resisting the temptation, you're on the conveyor belt, and you're going forward. And it goes from desire to disobedience to death. That's the conveyor belt on the course of temptation. Number one, he says, and, and, and uh, then when lust is conceived, number one is desire. Desire is a lust to gratify the flesh. It starts in our hearts. It starts in our minds. We entertain sinful thoughts. There's no action to kill it. There's no self-control. It consumes us, and the desire in our heart and in our mind, it, as it's going down the conveyor belt, then it turns into an action. It turns into an action, which is disobedience which he says there in verse 15, it gives birth to sin. That's disobedience. Sin is when we follow through, when we give into the flesh, when we sin, when we violate God's moral law, when we rebel. What is sin? 1 John 3, 4. Sin is transgression of God's law. It's when we go against what we know is true in his word. That's where the desire leads to. That's halfway down the conveyor belt. And then if you continue down the conveyor belt and you don't fight and get off the conveyor belt, it leads to the end result, which he says there in verse 15. It says it brings forth death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. You know, when I thought about this verse and I thought about death and Everything that the Bible talks about when it comes to death, I wanted to briefly talk about the four categories of death I see in the life of the church, I see in ministry, I see in the church. And the first one is physical death. Why do people die? Why is, there one day, why is one day there going to be a funeral for Pastor David and for you? Because sin came into the world, and sin brought death at the fall. You know, it breaks our hearts when people pass away, but it's a consequence of our rebellion towards God as a consequence of sin. So there's physical death. Number two is spiritual death. Spiritual death is that thing that's, take, that's taken place on the inside of us before we became born again. Meaning we're, we're dead in our sin on the inside. As Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead. There was no life in us. 
and we were spiritually dead. I remember back before I came to Christ, back before I was a Christian, I've seen people get saved, and I'd be like, whoa, these people are weird. You know, what, what, why, why they were, they went from talking about worldly things to now they're living for Jesus, and I couldn't understand it. I thought they were just religious wing nuts, and they were crazy folks. But no, they'd experienced this new birth, this spiritual rebirth. They were spiritually dead, now they're spiritually alive. So there's spiritual death. There's eternal death. Eternal death is in hell for those who do not trust in Christ. It's the ultimate consequence for, for the darkness of sin against an infinite, holy God. There's ministry death. Ministry death is, uh, I, I call it ministry death, and that is for believers who are involved in a ministry, they refuse to repent of a sin they're in or disobedience or, or walking in rebellion, and God removes them from a ministry that they are part of. You see, sin affects everything. Sin has wrecked the world. Sin has wrecked the world. It's wrecked people. It wrecks the church. It wrecks the believers. You know, and even uh, ministry death, a believer serving the Lord. But we've seen pastors fall. We've seen Christians fall from grace and fall into disobedience and rebel. And what does God do? He brings their ministry to an end. And he puts them on the shelf until they repent. So it affects everything. But the course of temptation is desire, disobedience, and death. And family, I'm with you on this. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to us. But this is a battle we all face. This is a battle that Rick faces, that, that I face, that Blake faces. Every single person, if you're breathing air this morning and you're alive, this is a battle you face. Man, fight like you know what against the forces of darkness. Fight for your salvation. Fight for your walk with Christ. Fight the good fight. And of course, as when, we, when we think about the course of temptation and how in verse 15 he opens up, lust is conceived, talking about the desire in our hearts and minds. What does that say to us? Our first line of defense in fighting temptation and fighting sin is this. You've got to guard your heart and you have to guard your mind. If you were taking notes, if there's one point from this verse, Guard your heart. Guard your mind. It is where the battlefield is. It is where the struggle is. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, uh, whosoever these things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. The battlefield is right here and right here, and we got to shield it, and we got to protect it by being filled with the Holy Spirit, yielded to the Holy Spirit, filled with the Word of God, and, and living out our faith. That's the course of temptation, family. The course of temptation is desire, disobedience, and it brings death. It brings death. So, you may ask, and I hope you're thinking as I'm preaching and teaching this, you may be asking, well, Pastor David, help me out. Throw me a bone. Show, help me, show me how to conquer temptations. Now, nobody's perfect, and I've given in to temptation, but we can fight the fight, and we can win more battles 
in our fight against the flesh. If, if, if there's certain things that we do, we can conquer temptation. And so what I want to do in James chapter 1, verses 16 through 27, I want to teach these 11 verses in the context of what James has just talked about. He's just established trials and tribulations. So I want to teach the rest of these verses. And these are principles that we can use to uh, not give in to temptation and to fight the good fight. Martin Luther said this. He said, evil thoughts are like birds. I can't keep them from flying over my head, but I can keep them from nesting in my hair. So let's see what we can do to keep those birds from nesting in our hair, in our life. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. The first principle I present to you this morning, based on verses 16 and 17, in your fight and your ability to conquer temptation is you need to look to the Lord, okay? Not looking to your church, not looking to your good luck charm, but looking to God himself, looking to the Lord of hosts himself. Verse uh, 17, he is the father of the heavenly light. He's the father of the heavenly light. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, uh, James here, verse 17, he's attributing this to the Father, the Father of lights. But Paul attributes to the Lord Jesus Christ the same principle in Timothy when he says, who alone is immortal, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be the glory. But uh, So God has everything you need to win the fight. God has everything you need to win the fight, and those things, those things that he wants to give you, they are good, according to verse 17. They are perfect gifts, according to uh, verse 17, and they are from above. Well, Pastor David, what are those gifts? Those gifts are his strength, his power, an extra measure of his spirit in, in, in your hour of trial, where you stop in the middle of temptation and you say, Lord, please help me. He will give you the ability to withstand when you look to him. And not only in our temptation, in our hour of trial, in our hour of temptation, not only do we look to the Lord, but you ready for this? We look for something else too. We look for the way of escape. We, we look for the way out of the temptation that we are facing. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation is overtaking you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So in our hour of trial, in our hour of temptation, we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then, we, then we're looking for the escape hatch. We're looking for the escape door. We're looking, Lord, provide for me a way out. So, so that's what we did. That's the first principle, is we look to the Father of the heavenly light. And he says there at the end of verse 17, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Uh, Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, he does not change. 
in the same way he helped the early church and the, and the disciples as they moved from trials and tribulations and temptations is the same way that he will help you and I. Let's look at verse 18. He says, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. The principle I pull from this verse when it comes to conquering temptation is this. We need to abide in the word of truth. We need to abide in the word of truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This is what we need in our hour of trial, in our hour of temptation, is to open up our Bible and spend some time meditating on the word and let that word wash it out of our brain, wash it out of our heart. You know, you, you fill your hearts and minds so much that it sends the temptation away. D.L. Moody said, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. And may, and may I may add to that, careful study, uh, careful study and application will lead you away from temptation. That's why I go to Calvary Chapel. That's why in 2006, somewhere in there, we visited Calvary Chapel Lexington, man, and we saw their attention to just opening the Bible and studying the Word. I, I, I experienced so many victories since then just because of the careful study and the careful application of the truth by just abiding in His Word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is theonostos. That means it is God breathed out. It is God speaking to us. Lord, I need a word from you. Open my book, is what the Lord says to us. Open my word, I will speak to you. Verse 19 and 20, he says, This you know, my beloved brethren, let everyone, excuse me, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The principle for conquering temptation in this portion of scripture is this. We gotta keep our emotions in check. We gotta keep, we gotta keep our emotions in check. And for many of us, this is an area of struggle. How many ever struggle with your emotions? You know, it's up and down, it's left and right, it's all over the place. And we, we struggle in different areas of emotion, but the emotion that the author is dealing with here is the, is the emotion of our, of our anger of our anger and our emotions and, and, and how to treat other people. And when anger is unbridled, family, it stifles the work of the Spirit in our life. That's why we have to crucify anger. We have to run from anger. We have to repent of our anger uh, towards God, towards people, towards all people. Anger has no part in the life of the believer. It says the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And if you struggle in this area of anger or you struggle with any other emotion that, that, uh, that sends you off the edge, confess it. Confess it and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Ask the Spirit to help you grow in this area of your life. Again, we're not people of anger. We're people of love. We're people of grace. We're people of the truth. We're people that um, we want people to come in and we want to build them up. Man, 
My job as a pastor is to see you succeed in this life in serving Christ. Men, I want to see you be godly men who love your wives and love your families. Wives, I want to see you be the very best wives in loving your children, raising your children, submitting to the leadership of your husband, and growing a solid, godly family. That's our heart. And anger and malice and all that stuff has no part in the Christian family or in the church. Verse 21, he says, Therefore putting aside, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. The fourth principle I present to you this morning in our battle against temptation is this. We need to find an authentic place of repentance. What is repentance? What is repentance? Some people say it's just a change of mind of who Jesus is. Some people say it's a, uh, it's a turning away from sin. It's, 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 it's both. It's both. We do, when we come to Christ, we do change our mind about who Jesus is. We believe on him as the son of God as one who died on the cross and rose from the grave. But repentance is also, on top of that, according to the New Testament, a change of life where we apologize to God for our sin and our rebellion, and we turn away from our sin, and we turn to the Lord. we got to find a place of authentic biblical repentance when it comes to the areas of how we live our life. Temptation, temptation to sin is not going to magically disappear, okay? I don't care how much you're prayed up, how much you're in the word. Temptation, you encountering temptation is not going to disappear. You have to make a concerted effort to leave behind the old life. Or as verse 21 says, you have to, therefore, putting aside all filthiness. Some of your translations uh, will say, therefore, getting rid of all filthiness. Other ones, others say, Put away, but we got to leave the old life behind. We got to confess our sins, leave it at the foot of the cross, and walk away from the old way of life. Second Timothy two twenty two says, um, "Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart." The Christian life is about fleeing and pursuing. We're fleeing the old life. We're fleeing sin. We're running from the deeds of darkness. We're, we're making a concerted effort. We're not waiting for it just to magically disappear, but we're putting feet to our action, and we're running away from the old life, and we're saying, Lord Jesus, according to 2 Timothy 2.22, we are pursuing you. We are, we are pursuing you. I remember when I came to Christ in 1992, I didn't have it all together. I still struggled. I had areas in my life that needed improvement. I had, I had areas in my life that I was still uh, in partial rebellion and still, not partial rebellion, but struggling with. But throughout that, those early years, man, I was, I was fighting. I was fighting and I was saying, Lord, I'm coming after you. Please help me in this temptation. Please help me in this area of my life. And when I failed or when I, when I fell and I fell into the temptation, I would repent, get back up, and continue to pursue the Lord. As 
verse 22 says, to pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a, a pure heart. And again, we flee from youthful lust. We, we make a concerted effort to run, to put it away, and find a place of authentic repentance. Again, sinless perfection is a false teaching. It's impossible. We will never reach that state of perfection The Christian life is about moving forward, fighting the good fight. Hopefully we win most of the battles in our our Christian walk, and God covers us in his grace as we pursue him with all of our heart. Let's look at the fifth one. The fifth one is a summary of verses 22 through 25, the uh, fifth principle in our fight against temptation. Verse 22 says, Prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. Family, this is not rocket science. This is just scriptures speaking to us this morning. But the fifth principle to conquer temptations and to fight the good fight is simple. Doing what the Bible says. Just simply doing what the Bible says. When we read it in the Bible and we get instruction from the word, we do what the scripture says. Verse 20, the opening of verse 22, he says, Prove yourselves to be doers of the word. In other words, the author is saying, let me see what you got. You, you, you put your trust in the Lord. You're, you're in the word. All right, now live it. Bring it, as sports teams would say. Let's see what you got. Prove yourselves to be doers of the word. Where we go from belief to, to experience. Uh, verse 25, he says, but one who looks intently, looks intently. That, that, that goes back to that careful study of Scripture. That goes back to getting into the Word, break out your commentaries, listen to your favorite Bible teachers, open up the Word and study it and, and, and process it. But look intently, carefully at what the text is saying. You know, every week as I'm preparing teachings, you know, I'll look at the, I, I, I teach out the NASB because it's my favorite. But I'll go and look at what the NLT says. I'll look at what the King James says. I'll look at what the ESV says. And I carefully look intently to what the scriptures are saying so that hopefully I can accurately convey that teaching to you guys. That's, but, 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 it's, but again, we've got to be doers of the word. When the scripture tells us to flee from sin, we do what it says. We flee from sin. We, we run like you know what. When the scripture tells us to love God with all of our hearts, we say, Lord, I love you with all my heart. I, I give my life to you. When the scripture tells us to um, serve people, we say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Let me serve these people. You know, and also, he, notice he, he mentions in verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law. And look, look at what he says, the law of liberty. What's he talking about here in James chapter 1? The law of liberty. I suggest to you, he's talking about the word of truth. That's a phrase that he's given to the gospel. 
into the Bible. This law of liberty, it encompasses the entirety of God's word. Psalms chapter 19 verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect in converting the soul. What is it that brings liberty? What is it that sets us free? Understanding the word and and getting into the word. It brings liberty. The Bible is not about bringing religion. It's not about putting people under the thumb of the church. The Bible is, is a book that's given for our liberty so that we can learn how to be forgiven of our sin, how we can learn to live in freedom, how we can learn to live in joy, how we can learn to live a life that pleases the Lord. That's the law of liberty. Liberty is a word for freedom. I I never forget every day around 4 o'clock on that ship I was on. 4 o'clock, they'd come over to the 1MC. Liberty call, liberty call. And all the sailors come to life. Throwing their civilian clothes and they head out. They head out. It was liberty call. It, it It was a joyous time to be at sea for months on end and then pull into port and they call for liberty. It was a joyful time when we saw land. I'll never forget when we pulled in from our first deployment and all the families out there waving their flags and I saw my mom and dad and, and, and then finally the commander came to the ship and says, Liberty call, liberty call. It was a joyous moment. Family, the Christian life can be a joy-filled life in serving the Lord because it's about liberty. And what is the outcome? Look at the end of verse 25. He said, this man... At the end of verse 25, it says, this man will be blessed in what he does. What's the outcome? We experience the goodness of God. We experience his blessing. We excel in life. We excel in our service for the king. We excel in our work. We excel in our home. And we excel in the things we put our hands to. Why? Is it in and of ourselves? No. It's because God is in our life. And God is blessing us. And God is guiding and directing our lives. And there's a liberty. That is what the the perfect law of liberty. And he he abides by it. Again, abiding in the word, spending time in the word, experiencing what the scripture says and doing what it says. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. Just doing what the scripture says. Then he finishes in verse 26 and 27 with a, a I call this a measure of our Christianity. No, I, don't, I didn't bring a principle out of this, just, but I just want to briefly talk about it. In verse 26 and 27, James says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James closes out here in James chapter 1. He closes out with what I call a measure, a measure of Christianity, a measure that we can all take inventory of our lives and look, look at ourselves. But verse 26 he says, yet does, he must, anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue. Did you know our words are a measure of our heart? They are. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I can be around someone for a couple days 
And you can be around someone for a couple days and you can know what's in their heart by the language they use, by the words that, that come out of our mouth. See, our, our eyes and our mouth, they are just windows of our heart. The things that we look at in this life, good or bad, are the things that we fill our hearts with. And whatever is filled, whatever is in our heart will come out in our words. And we are called as Christians to, to bridle our tongues. We, we are called to repent and turn from those things that would cause us to speak evil. The second measure of Christianity, he says in verse 27, he says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. You know, part of the early church's job was to minister to the widows, to minister to the orphans. And nothing's changed. We are called to help those in time of need. We are called to um, taking care of others. Well, maybe you're thinking this morning, well, I don't know any widows. I don't know any widows. I don't, I don't know any orphans. Well, maybe you don't know any widows or orphans, but maybe you know somebody within the sphere of your influence that needs help, that needs help, that you can help them in the name of the Lord. You know, people come to us as a church, and they, they need help physically, materially, financially, and we do our very best to help them and support them in any way we can. But we got to, as Christians, not only bridle our tongues, but we have to ask ourselves, are we helping other people? Or are we, are we helping other people? That's part of the Christian life. That's part of the experience. That's part of the adventures in Christianity. You know, Henry coming up and speaking about moment of hope. It's, it's, it's about being out there to help those scared young ladies and people that are fragile make the right decision and help them in a spirit of love and a spirit of grace and a spirit of truth. Help point them in the right direction. And the third measure of Christianity, there at the end of verse 27, he says, keep oneself unstained by the world. This phrase is a picture of our purity, our purity. As Christians, we're called to, to walk in holiness and to walk in purity, and we're called to run from evil and not fill our minds and fill our hearts with the things of this world. Because whatever you fill your heart and mind with, that you will become. So that's, that's what I present to you this morning. Those are the pathways. These are the paths I present to you in our fight against sin. Again, sinless perfection is not possible, but we can fight the good fight. We can win more battles. We can move forward in walking closer with the Lord each and every day, if we'll do what the Bible says, if we'll find an authentic place of repentance, if we'll keep our emotions in check, if we will abide in his word, and in all situations, we will look to Jesus himself. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for James chapter 1. Lord, I pray this morning that we will grow in these areas that we've looked at. I pray, Lord, that we will, um, each and every one of us, We'll take inventory of our hearts. And by your Holy Spirit, not by our own deeds, our own works, but by your Spirit, you will enable us, empower us to move forward and, and rightly understand 
what temptation is and what it is not. So, Lord, we love you, praise you, and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. And you're asking the question, what do I need, what do, I need to do to be saved? How, how do I find peace with God? How do I know that I'm in a right relationship with God? It's found at one place. That's at the cross. It's at the cross that you come to by faith, that you come to the Lord by faith. That song we sang in the opening, Surrender. Salvation, being in a right relationship with God, is about three things. It's about surrendering your life to Jesus. Uncle, Lord, I surrender to you. And in that process of surrendering, saying, Lord, I surrender my life to you, you're doing two things. One, you're repenting. You're saying, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my rebellion. And I am turning away from my lawless deeds. I'm turning away from sin, from darkness, and I'm turning to you. That's repentance. And then belief. Belief simply means, Jesus, I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in your death at Calvary to forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting in your resurrection from the dead to give me new life. John 1.12 says, for as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. If you're not right with God and you want, to make, you want this to be the day of salvation, as the prayer counselors come up, uh, come up and let them pray with you to receive, repent, and believe. And start this life of serving the Lord. That's your, if you're here and you're not a believer. For the body, man, what are you going through? What difficult situation are you facing this morning? Or are you, uh, if you've come here this morning and you have a heavy weight on your shoulders, you're going through a difficult, trying situation, please take advantage during this closing song to come up and receive prayer from our prayer counselors. They will have PPE to keep everyone safe, but let us minister to you in this closing song. God bless you guys.